church. Uh, it's great to, to be here with you uh, this morning. And uh, let, let's give the worship team another round of applause for such an incredible, incredible job leading us in worship uh, this morning. Always great to be with the people of God singing and declaring the praises of God. Amen. And to Pastor John, thank you so much for allowing me to come in and, and speak uh, this morning. And as always, I'm always glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's always good to be with other uh, believers who, who believe that Jesus Christ uh, is Savior and Lord. Uh, he already introduced me and, and my wife, but we've been married nine years. We have two boys, and uh, it's incredible. They were intended on being here this morning, but they send you greetings from uh, going to their home church, uh, my, my mother-in-law's home church in Orange Mound. And so uh, they're there uh, doing a special uh, service there. But the next time I'm here, I'm sure they would uh, definitely love to come out and experience what I have experienced uh, this morning. Uh, Greg told me that you all had been in a series that you all finished up talking about being bold and going through uh, different characters of the, of the scriptures speaking of bold. Uh, at, at this moment, we're taking a pause, obviously, for the summer, and I'm coming in this morning. And, and I think the passage that we're going to look at this morning is going is to reveal some things about people who, who are Christ followers who, who may not be bold. As we look at 1 John chapter 2, couple of verses, 15 through 17, is where we will be. And it's important for us to be bold in, in our lives as we uh, declare the, the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations. Uh, we live in a society that uh, is trying to silence the church. Uh, it's, it's so uh, incorrect to, to speak the things of God uh, to, to the world. Uh, and so being bold and so excited about listening through that series is, is so important for us as we uh, propagate the gospel, as we make him known to all nations. And the indicator we're going to see out of our text is maybe some of the reasons why we're not able to be bold is because of our love for the things of this world. Let me read my passage this morning out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It reads this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen? That is God's word. Well, if you ask me on a, on a, on a regular day, I'm, I'm a pretty boring person, you know, outside of going to work and playing with my kids. There's only three things I enjoy doing. Uh, one is watching the news. Uh, the other thing is watching sports, any sports, it doesn't matter, as long as there's a ball involved, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, and, and the third thing is watching documentaries. So pretty boy, I don't spend much time watching TV, again, apart from being, my, being my wife and being with my kids. I'm, it's pretty three things. I don't have a favorite a news network. I watch the news, I, I watch sports, and, and I like documentaries. Well, all that changed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife, she loves all movies. She loves Netflix. Netflix was the most incredible thing that, uh, she, that was invented for her. Uh, and she's always trying to get me to, to look at different films that are on Netflix, independent films and other films, which, you know, I, I don't have any time for. I, I'd rather read or watch the news, watch sports, watch documentaries. Uh, but, but two weeks ago, my life would forever change uh, one night I'm sitting reading uh, a book, a great 
a theologian uh, by the name of John Perkins, he, and I'm, I'm reading his book, and it's a great night, and, and, and she comes into the room, and she uh, puts Netflix on. And I'm like, I'm not going to watch anything tonight. I'm going to enjoy my book, go to sleep, get ready for another great day. But she cuts the documentary on, and uh, she cuts the movie on, and as it's, it's rolling, I, I, my, my ears just begin to leave the pages of me reading the book, and my eyes were, were glancing upon the TV, and it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was surrounding food. Uh, Netflix has a series called uh, Chef's Table, uh, and this is the third season of it, and one of the chefs who they were following was a, a guy by the name of Ivan Orkin. Uh, he's a world-famous chef who, who's in New York, and and what was fascinating about this movie was it, it was like a documentary. They, they followed his life. They uh, saw how he, after he graduated from college, he moved to Tokyo to be inspired to be a chef. And while he was there, he, he finds his, his wife. They get married. They come back to the United States. And he was looking for uh, opportunities to, to be a chef. And in the process, they would have a child at two years old. And, and after the child was two years old, the wife died. His life would spiral down. He was depressed. He lost what he thought was his meaning for life. He is now a single father who has a two-year-old son and what to do with that. But with all of the stories of how he rebounded and went back to Tokyo and got remarried and, and just began to uh, have a, a new sense of identity and purpose, that was not the most fascinating thing about uh, this documentary. Uh, the most fascinating thing about this documentary was something I had never heard before, and this is the reason I started watching it was this ideal of umami. Umami. Uh, umami is the, the, the fifth taste. You know, in culinary arts, you have four tastes that most people know is sweet, sour, uh, you have bitters, and you have salty. But uh, he discusses ideal of umami, which is something that uh, Tokyo, uh, the culinary arts there, they, they, they specialize in to give you a feeling of satisfaction. It's a satiation that takes place when, when you're eating the, those ramen noodles, the way the chefs prepare them. They, they add natural things in there or they, they can make things that are manufactured that after you eat that soup and you eat those noodles that you have a feeling of satisfaction. In America, we know that as being full, going to a buffet and, and being full. But after you drink this soup and as you eat these noodles, there was a feeling of satisfaction. And this is what he specialized in. This is what he learned doing his culinary schooling in Tokyo. Well, same thing for our text this morning. As John would pen this many, many years ago, he was writing to a church and writing to Christian people who seemingly had a feeling of satisfaction. Uh, they were satisfied with the things of this world. They had this umami experience for the things of this life. And John pins this letter. God sent him a text message to say, write to my people, do not love the world. And so that's what he opens up with. For us not to love the world, not to be satisfied with the things of this world. The believers who he's writing to at this church were those who had once professed Christ, but all of a sudden now they are being swayed out of the church because of these new teachings that uh, the, the Gnostics, well, we would know it as, but pre-Gnostic theories of what was happening. And they were teaching a different gospel message. And this message began to cause the ears of the believers in this church to, to be itchy. And they wanted to know what is this new knowledge that we need to know. So John is, is frustrated and his concern is that 
He wants to let these people know that they shouldn't love the world or the things of the world. And so what we're going to learn in our passage this morning is that, as he says, don't love the world. And next thing, he's going to give us some pointers and some tips of things that are in the world, like desires that we have. And then he also is going to let us know another reason in the end why we ultimately should not love the world. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this moment that we get to worship you. We thank you for all those who are gathered here who need to hear a word from you. Nothing from me but a word from you. God, I pray that you would use me as your servant this morning to declare uh, your word truthfully and boldly so that we can live boldly for, for the world, so that we can let the world know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, John, is, is he's, he's frustrated. He is upset with this young church that they are beginning to allow the, 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 these new teachings uh, to allure them away from, from being a part of the fellowship uh, that, that God had installed for these group of believers. They begin to, to walk away from the basic principles of the faith. And so John has to remind them through this command, do not love the world. Now, this is interesting for many of you in here, if you're a brand new Christian or if you're in this room and you're a skeptic and you're saying, hey, this doesn't seem consistent with the scriptures. Why is John here in this epistle saying, do not love the world? I thought God was a God of love. I thought God loved the world. Others of you in here, you're saying, well, what's up with that hallmark passage that all Christians had or maybe tattooed on themselves during the period of the 90s through the 2000s of John 3.16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Isn't this the same John who would write that in the Gospel of John? And Absolutely right. You are correct. He is the same John who wrote John 3.16. Uh, uh, so, so before we move forward further, we need to break down this idea of what, what love is. What, what, what is he talking about? Well, three, three different ways that the word world would be used uh, in, in the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament. Uh, this world, cosmos, uh, is used in three different ways. Uh, one way you look at cosmos, it is just talking about the world, the earth, and all of its beauty. You think about uh, the Grand Canyons and different sites that you, you see, the different mountains and things that you would experience in this life where you look and say, wow, that, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's one sense of this idea of cosmos or, or the world is just the earth and the creation that God had made. Psalm 24 uh, would say that the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. And so as we look to the things that we like in this life, the different sites, uh, that's one em emphasis in terms of world. The second one is talking about humanity and humans. When you think about world, you're thinking about people and how God has designed us to live in community with people. And so that's another sense where you see the word world is the, the, the humanity, people, humans who he has created. Galatians chapter 6.10 says that we should do good to all folks when we have an opportunity to, especially those who are part of the household of faith. And so, again, when you think of cosmos, when you think of world, that is the second area that this word could be used. But specifically in our text this morning, uh, as John is writing, he's talking about the, the third most popular idea when it comes to world, and that's the evil system that is controlled by Satan. 
It is the invisible spiritual realm of, of evil that is all about being against Jesus Christ and against the Lord who, who has created all things. So, so when he's talking about world here, that, that's the world he's talking about. He, he's not talking about mountains and different sights and things that we enjoy and experience. He, he's not talking about people who we get to live life with. He's talking about this evil system that is ran by Satan that is all against what God has designed from the beginning. That's the world he's talking about. So it should make sense that he is not talking about anything that God did not love other than this evil system from Satan. Leo the Great would say this. He says, man who cannot be without love is either a lover of God or a lover of the world. He can never be both. And so, so John here, he's saying, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, you cannot love Christ and profess Christ in one sense, but also be lovers of the world. Those two cannot go together. So we cannot love the world. We cannot love God because these are in opposition of each other. Amen? It's something more to love. It's not just saying I love something, but to love means that you have a desire for something, but then you also you're committed to this something as well. So, so, so love is deep, and so for believers at that day to, to love something that was against God means that they were not just desiring it, but this something that had consumed them in such a way to where uh, it, it controlled them. It, uh, they were committed to this thing. I struggle with this myself. Uh, I, I love two things outside of the three I told you before is, is coffee and chai tea. I love a great chai tea latte, and so... When I was in the world, I would go to Starbucks and I would go and get this chai tea latte and I thought it was the most incredible thing in the world. Uh, the little pump, the syrups of chai and, and you get a little steamed milk with it. And I thought, man, I was doing something, put a little cinnamon on top of that. But, but lo and behold, one day, a couple of years ago, I, I ran into this new coffee shop. There's only two in the city, one uh, downtown, one in Poplar Ridgeway. It's a place called Tap and Tap. Uh, Tap and Tap is a great place. You've never been there before. You got to go and, and experience it because... They, they did something that was great. They, they, they merged two of my favorite things and they put them together in one cup. Espresso and chai tea. Not espresso syrup, but espresso powder. I mean, not, not, but, but the chai powder. And so I would go in here and I get this thing. They call it a Cannonball Express. And, and they, they put the, the chai tea in there and they put the uh, espresso in there. They put the foam milk on top. And I'm telling you, it is an amazing thing for me. And I, I'm so committed to this chai tea latte and espresso mix, which they call the Cannonball Express, that I would drive 20 miles just to get one sip of this drink because it's so good. I would bypass every Starbucks and every Dunkin' Donuts just to get to this one place to get this Cannonball Express. And so for believers, this is what... Uh, our love for the world, if, I, if we love the world in the way that is in opposition of God, we, we would bypass anything that he would tell us to do in order to seek after the things of the world. So it's odd for us as believers to love the world, this, this demonic, satanic system that is against God, and also profess to love God in the same breath. Can't do it. Look at what James chapter 4 says about this. A pretty stunning indictment. He says, you adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God's. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty straightforward, right? He says that you are an adulterous people, anyone who tries to merge this love of the world with the love of God. John chapter 15, the same John who's writing this, uh, he, he kind of gives us an illusion of what Jesus said there. He says in verse chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then fast forward a little bit, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Jesus, out of his own mouth, speaking of this world, saying, hey, they hated me. They hated the message that I came bringing. Yes, they're going to hate you too. So this world that we're talking about, this evil, satanic, demonic system that opposes everything that is God, we can't love it and be entangled with these things that are in the world. Some scholars and, and theologians would say of the world that uh, this world that John is speaking of here in 1 John is an anti-God society, or in other words, an anti-Christ type of system. And so with this being an anti-God or an anti-Christ system, it is impossible for us to love both systems. Going to the part B of verse 15 says that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Simply said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is truly not in you. If, if, you, if you love this world, the evil system, that the love of the Father is not in you. So the question on the table this morning is who, who do you love? What do you love? Are you going to love God and his ways and what he wants you to be about? Or are you going to love this system that Satan has created that is against God and against his very commands that he will want us to follow in? Verse 16, he goes further and he gives us three uh, things that are, are sin uh, uh, signs of worldliness. Three sins and signs of worldliness in chapter 6, in verse 16, he says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions. So he gives us three, and this is not a long list. He just wants to give you three examples of a person who is uh, inundated with the world, a person who is caught up with the world system, here are three sins of worldliness. It deals with the flesh. It deals with the eyes. It deals with pride. Uh, desire here is epithemia. Epithemia. 38 times you see epithemia in the New Testament. Only three times you see it as something positive. 35 times this word, this word desires, epithemia is used. It is used in a negative way means sinful longing, uh, lusting after things that God hates. And so I don't want you to think this morning that as we're talking about these desires here, that desires are bad. All desires are not bad. But any desire that goes against what God wants us to desire, after the things that, uh, that are not a part of what his heart is, then that's when we know that these desires are bad. So he starts with the flesh. The desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh, which which deals with our senses. It deals with things like touch and, and smell and, and hearing and, and these things, these, these things that we can do with, with our hands and, and with our bodies. Uh, Galatians, as Paul would write about the fruit of the Spirit, would say this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh, here we go, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and things like this. This is what he's saying. Don't love the world because these desires of the flesh will root up inside of our hearts. Some of these that are was in this list of Galatians. He's talked about things like idolatry, which we get that. We, as a Christian society, we know that we should not worship idols. And so uh, most people get this ideal of idolatry, worshiping other gods, whether it is man-made or whatever it is, that we should not worship idols. But he talked about things like hatred, which is having animosity with other people. Uh, variance, which is strife and discord and, and contention. Emulations. Here it is, desiring to have what someone else has. Ain't that something? I, I can remember many times in my life when I, I, I've seen people who had certain things, and I say, you know, I, I want that. Those desires that are, that are evil that says, I want to have what someone else has, and it's all for the wrong reasons. Heresies, obviously. Anyone who fundamentally uh, says anything against Jesus Christ and his uh, saving work on the cross, we get those. But here it is, this last one is envying. It says it goes beyond jealousy. It wants what others has and begrudges the fact that the person has them. Wants the person to lose the things that they have or suffer loss. You ever been there? Ever been in a place where uh, you so desired what other people had that you wish that they would have a loss or experience something tragic in order that they would not have it? And John is saying here in terms of the the, the desires of the flesh, these are the things that would happen for a person who is inundated with the things in this world and this life. Next, he moves to the eyes, and he says that uh, with the eyes, this deals with, with seeing and, and wanting the things that you see. Most of the time, people put this off in the category of lust after sexual uh, uh, things and, and things that are against God sexually, but, but the eyes... Uh, where we get captivated by materialism and pleasures of the world, desires of the eyes. I suffer from this as well. I, I love gadgets, and so uh, typically uh, at different points of the year, my life is ran by Apple. Anytime Apple puts out a new product, I, I got to have it. Got to have a new phone. Got to have a new watch. Got to have a new iPad. And, and I try to go on an Apple fast and say, you know, I'm not going to let Apple dictate my life, but but I see those gadgets and how they can make my life so much better and so much easier. I can, you know, text message somebody from my arm and all these things. And so, so, so you know, so I get this. I, I see this. I'm not uh, immune to the desires of the eye. But the desires of the eye can be devastating. For, oh, by the way, uh, Apple, they're having the, the biggest, uh, the big announcement tomorrow. So I, I know I'm going to be tuned in at 12 o'clock uh, to see how the, the new iPad Air is going to be so amazing. But, but, but these desires of the eye, we see something. And, and we act upon those things. The, the desires of the eye will activate the desires of the flesh. Uh, some uh, uh, Christian counselors and psychiatrists will say that by nature we are psychosomatic. 
psychosomatic meaning that, that, that we see something. We, we think about what this thing is that we want. So we, we, we're thinking about it. And if it's something that we want so bad, we internalize it in our hearts. And so our, our, our minds are thinking about this thing. And then our, it's in our hearts. We've got to have it. And it causes our hands to, to move and act upon it. The, the desires of the eye could be uh, damning for us because it would activate us to, to move about the flesh in a way that does not honor God. We think about people who deal with uh, different sexual sins, whatever it is, they, that their eyes saw something that they liked and they act upon it in a way that goes against what God would desire. For that person who would have a, an affair outside of their marriage, they, that their eyes saw something in this other person and it caused them to act upon it. When I sit down, I'm doing counseling with guys and they are struggling with, with looking at uh, porn on, on computers on their phone. It's, the fact that their eyes saw something that made their hands act upon those things. The, the, the sins, of the, the, the flesh, the eyes are just making us do things that are probably contrary to the will of God. And don't think that the lust of the eyes is something that's new. You flip back and go to one of the characters that you studied in your series on bold, David. He struggled with this issue. Remember that after he was made king and and everything's going well. He, he happens to just look out and saw this woman by the name of Bathsheba, and he, he, he saw her. And so that flesh, the, the, the lust of the eyes made him see her and then made him act upon it by saying, go get her. And he brought her to himself, and you know the rest of the story. He would sin and have uh, an affair with this woman who was already married. The eyes, the, the, the lust of the eyes could be damning, and we have to watch it because this is something that happens when we are inundated and, and controlled by this world system. And the last thing he talks about here is the ideal of pride. And pride is a tough one. And at the root of most of our issues, it is this ideal of pride. Of boasting ourselves, puffing ourselves up, this, this ideal of pride. But here in this text specifically, pride has two different layers. You have uh, the person who is uh, self-centered. And then you have the person who is self-sufficient. The self-centered person says, hey, they want to make everything about themselves. And so, hey, I'm going to dress a certain way so people can look at me and I can get all this attention. I'm going to drive a certain car so when I'm driving down the street, people can look at me and I'm, I'm getting this certain type of attention. The way, I, the way I talk, the way I go about all of my, my business, I want people to be drawn in to me. So, so the attention can be on me and so people can think highly about me and thinking I'm something special. That's somebody who is all about this self-centeredness. Well, all eyes on them. They, they want people to, to put them on a pedestal because they, they have certain things and they look a certain way and they, they talk a certain kind of way. You know these people, right? I, I tell you, from my, from my story, I've been on this long journey of, of trying to correct uh, my health, and, and so since I have two kids, and I'm, you know, desiring to be able to play with them, and they have a lot of energy, and so, you know, I, where I was, I, you know, didn't have a lot of energy to be able to play around with these kids, so I made some life changes. I began to eat a certain way, and I started, you know, going to the gym four times a week, you know, hey, working out, it was hard, a long road, and I still got a long way to go, but, but, but in this process for me, which has been a toiling process, and 
just grueling them, getting up in the morning and trying to work out and trying to sweat and trying to burn calories and trying not to eat so many calories. And, and I go and I talk to somebody and say, hey, man, you know, man, I've been on this journey, man. God's really helped me out, man. I'm, I'm getting better and I'm, I'm breathing. I'm not snoring at life at night. And my wife is enjoying that. And, and, and they would tell you something like this. A self-centered person would say, you know, you, you, you're working out four days a week. I'm working out eight days a week. And on four of those days, I'm doing two times a day. Just bring, bringing attention back to themselves to say that they're better than you. They're gonna, always going to one-up you. That's that person who is self-centered. So that's that pride there of, of being self-centered. The other thing is, is that you have that person who feels uh, that they can go through life without God. A person who is self-sufficient. Someone who says, you know what? And all of my wealth and all of the things that I have, all the education that I have, all of my beauty, all of my talent, I can get through this life by myself and I don't need anyone. That's a lie from Satan himself for anyone to think that they can get through life being self-sufficient. There's only one who is self-sufficient. That is God. God is not dependent upon anyone. He is self-sufficient. And the rest of us, we are depending on people to be in community to help us as we are trying to grow in godliness. There is no person under the sun who is self-sufficient. But when pride is at the core of your life, you can probably think that there are some things that you can do that uh, you don't need people. You don't need God. And so he talks about pride and says that you have the lust of the flesh, have the lust of the eyes, and we also have this idea of pride that can help uh, tear a person apart as they're trying to walk this thing out with Jesus. And these are three things, three symptoms, three sins that Satan has been using since the beginning of time. Some scholars would try to make the connotations between what Adam and Eve did in the garden, similar to these three here, the flesh, the eyes, and pride. Other scholars would tell you that when you look at Jesus and what he experienced in the wilderness as he would be uh, tempted by Satan, that this would be the, the same thing that Satan would use to try to, to win him over in the garden. The lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. When you look at Matthew 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered them and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. See, they tried to allure him with the lust of the flesh. Uh, next, he says, if you're the son of God, uh, I'm sorry, then he says, hey, you know, he, he, he took, the devil took him to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle on the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall command his angels concerning you on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then with his eyes, show him this pinnacle of this holy city. And then lastly, he said the devil looked at him again, took him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. Dealing with this ideal of pride. These are tactics that Satan has been trying to use on people from Adam to, to Christ himself. But we praise God that Christ was not tempted by the devil. Amen. 
that Christ was one who overcame, as Romans says, that through one man's disobedience, sin came into the world, but through another man's obedience, that's Jesus Christ, that salvation has come. So we, we praise God for salvation because he was not tempted by the devil and lived a perfect, sinless life. Amen? So don't love the world, John tells us. He gives us some attributes of worldliness, and then in verse 17, he tells us why we should not love the world. Very simply, he says, because the world is passing along with all its desires. He says that the world is passing away. The, the, the world is fading away, so we should not put stock into these things of the world. We should not have our desires going after these things which uh, Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes are fleeting, that it is all vanity, that everything under the sun is vanity. So why would you try to have your passions and your longings and your desires after something that is fading away? Things of the world are passing. Earlier in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. It says that darkness is passing away. The true light, being Jesus Christ, is shining but this evil system of the world is fading away and will not last. Now you see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. It says, for the present forms of this world is passing away. Saying that the things of this world cannot, uh, they can be alluring, but it is no value. The things of this world, even though they can be alluring, they can appease our eyes, they have no value when you think about the surpassing greatness that we will all get a chance to achieve when we are with Jesus face to face, amen, that none of this, all of this world that is passing, there's nothing to compare with the eternal blessings of doing the will of the Father, which John says, and that person abides forever. The will of the Father, what is that? That's a person who has embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, surrenders to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and lives a life that, that follows what Jesus Christ would have us to do. And outside of that is, is following the great command, love God and love other people. That's, that's the will of God for our lives, simply put. So we love God with all our heart, soul, might, strength, and we love other people. That's the will of God. And that person, if we are faithful in doing the will of God, then we will be able to abide with God forever. Ain't that good news? It's good news. Uh, on Friday nights, uh, something me and my boys and my family do, we, we play Monopoly. Monopoly, I just figure it's something I need to, you know, teach my boys at an early age. They're six and four, and so, you know, Monopoly is one of those things I feel like they need to know. They're going to go to college one day, and, you know, I don't want them to play poker and, and gambling, but, hey, you can play Monopoly. You know, do Monopoly. You're going to be late for class, the 8 o'clock English class, be late because you play Monopoly. You're not, not some gambling. And so we play Monopoly, and I love Monopoly. I mean, we, we play Monopoly, and we're sitting around the table, and uh, it's, it's fun. We are... Uh, you know, the, the whole gist of Monopoly is to try to get as many properties as you can, get as much money as you can, and, and bankrupt everybody, right? So that's kind of the deal. You know, you try to consume all the houses, all the property, consume all the money, and so everybody, you know, they, they land on you, they don't have any money, and so now they're bankrupt. And so, so typically where I am, I, I pretty much win all the time. Uh, uh, whether, whether I'm playing uncles, whether I'm playing my friends, whatever, but specifically with my wife and two kids, they have no chance against Daddy Damon, they no chance at all. Uh, but, but the thing that's, 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 that's strange about Monopoly, as exciting as it is to, to acquire a new land and put some hotels on there and to 
have people pay you money because they land on your property and they have to, uh, you know, uh, go and bankrupt and flip properties over and, and deed the property, tie all this stuff out. Like, it, it, it's, it's incredible, right? But at the end of the game, after you've won for the 50th time, you do the same thing. You take all the pieces. You, you, you put them back into the box. You, you take that Monopoly board. You, you fold it up and store it away, and it's gone. That's what John is saying about this world and the desires of the thing in this world being tied to the world. He says one day this world is going to, all the pieces are going to be rolled away. That this, this world, this earth that we know will be flipped up and be put back in the box and it's going to be gone. So even though it's exciting right now, some of these things that we, we, we love and enjoy doing, but one day it's going to be gone. Please not, don't waste your life on these things that are passing. Let us be people who are marked by doing the will of God and obeying his commandments so that we can abide forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that your word is true, that your word would not return void, as you said, that your word has the power to, to do incredible things, bring it forth salvation when people hear the word of God. I pray that this message that uh, you, you wrote from your servant John would, would, would touch our hearts to know that we have hope in Christ and in Christ alone that we don't have to uh, go after these desires of, of the eyes and of the flesh and be filled with pride, but we can be filled with the spirit that we can abide with you forever. God, I pray that if we're in this room and we're struggling with uh, the lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh, because we are entangled with the things in this world, God, I pray that you just do a work on our hearts, that, that the Holy Spirit will begin to operate on our hearts to, to make us walk in the newness of life that you've called us to. That you remind us that we are a new creation. All those who are in Christ are a new creation. And the old has passed away, and we will continue to follow you. God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and that he was able to, to endure those temptations and, and still live a a perfect sinless life without sin. And, and the author of Hebrews says that because of his sinless life, because he was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin, that we can come boldly to him and receive grace and mercy. God, we thank you for that. That's our hope. So God, we just want to continue worshiping. Allow us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. take this time just to respond to God's grace and his goodness, his faithfulness. So if you'd like to take this time to pray, you're welcome to. You're welcome to stand and worship with us as well.
come and pray with Damon or I or just come and make an altar out of the steps or where you are you don't have maybe you don't do anything but don't leave without making that decision to work on that business of who you love because you can't love both <laughs> 